Coders, let's try that again. <laughs> that was embarrassing. Essentially what happened was the monitor setting on my ear or headphones was uh, not set correctly. And uh, I was hearing myself twice in, a, in an echo loop. And uh, it wasn't actually being output to the internet. So I do apologize. Hello, everybody. I hope everybody's well. Hello, coders. Um, today we're going to be talking about Flutter 2. Uh, we're going to be talking about Deno, uh, and we're going to be talking about REPL, um, as well as some things to do with howtocodewell.net, um, and other bits and pieces that I've been doing recently. Um, so this is episode, uh, I do apologize for being a little bit, um, out of sorts. We had a bit of a problem with the audio stuff earlier. <laughs> um, but I hope everybody can hear now. This is episode eight, uh, 91, 91, and it is uh, Thursday the 4th of March. Wow, we're moving into, um, we're staring right into the face of the second quarter of the year. That is pretty bonkers. Um, and let's do a quick, uh, a quick roundup of, of how to code well.net to, uh, to start off with. So, I, I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago that uh, I've split How to Code Well up uh, the technical roadmap into quarters, the quarters of the year. So uh, we, we are very close to finishing uh, the first quarter. It's going to finish at the end of March. And then we've got uh, April, June, July. And, um, oh, sorry, April, May, June. <laughs> Skip a month. And um, yeah, what I want to do in this quarter is to deal with the social sign-on. So this is where you can log in using um, a social account. I'm choosing to use GitHub at the moment, but I might include others later on. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm pretty much there with that, uh, which is really good. So I'm pretty much done on that. Another thing we did in this quarter, which wasn't actually scoped, was to do with uh, moving... Or, yeah, moving from Gatsby to a, a plain old Symphony site. Um, so we had an API before and it was on a Symphony API. There was a CMS behind it. Um, and also the front end was Gatsby static site. And I spent a good, you know, portion of time bringing it back into Symphony. So removing the API and actually, uh, it's the best thing I've done. Um, one of the best technical things I've done. Uh, I'm finding that developing this uh, in, in the evenings is a bit of a dream now because I can, you know, I don't have a lot of time in the evenings to do the work and uh, I can do it far quicker because everything is in Symphony. Everything's running on PHP. Um, and uh, that, that's opened up some interesting, uh, interesting challenges with um, and, and decisions for things like hosting, because no, no longer is the front end on, a, on AWS Amplify. It means I can open up to other things, um, other sort of VPS solutions as well. So I'm, I'm kind of looking at other things too. Now, um, so using things like Terraform and Ansible to spin up VPSs and, and whatnot. Now, um, the move from Gatsby to, um, some, sorry, the move from Gatsby to Symphony was not planned at all. Uh, in this technical roadmap. So I'm kind of doing this along the side lines and it will probably bleed into the second quarter um, as well. I want to get the beta site replaced. So beta.howtocowell.net, if you're a private beta user, um, then I would like to have um, that site replaced with the PHP site. Um, 
pretty soon, probably by the end of March, we'll, we'll get to that point. And then after that, I'll look at uh, replacing production. Um, so slowly coming off of AWS. One of the reasons why I want to move away from AWS is because it's costing a lot of money and the costs are very difficult to try and uh, nail down. Um, because there's various different things that happen in the background of howtocowell.net that, um, I didn't realize would cost as much as they are. And, um, I quite like the idea of having a, you know, just a, a, a fixed cost that you pay per month that you know where you stand, that kind of stuff. Plus at the moment, the cost of AWS kind of justifies the cost of uh, a, a, a decent set of, of VPSs at the moment. So that's something I'm considering doing. Um, but anyway, that's, that's, that's all that. So we're on track, essentially. That's basically what I wanted to say. We're on track. Um, excellent. Thank you, Bryce, for joining. Voice and audio is finally working. Awesome. <laughs> there was a big difference between waiting, the waiting music volume and the microphone volume. Oh, okay. Right. I will, uh, what I'll do is I'll play this back. Um, and uh, I will, I will investigate that. Uh, we haven't had the intro for a while. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, we will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try, try and work, try and work that through, try and work that one out. <clears throat> so that's where I am with how to code well. Um, and, uh, the next sprint is, well, I say the, the next quarter, uh, these are big sprints. The next quarter, it will be focusing on, um, uh, different levels of accounts. So free accounts, premium accounts, that kind of thing. So, you know, monthly, uh, uh accounts and yearly accounts, premium, uh, features on how to code well.net. Um, so a lot of Stripe integration. So that's coming up in the stream. So that'll be quite an interesting thing to uh, do live on uh, on Twitch that I do Tuesday mornings at uh, 7 a.m. on Tuesday and uh, Sundays at 14:30 GMT. So if you wanna if you wanna pop on on then and uh, check out some PHP code, then uh, please do so and say hi. But this brings me to an interesting point. The next set of the, the next uh, piece of work is going to be around subscriptions. <coughs> so when someone uh, subscribes to be a, a a particular user level and has particular uh, features that a free user won't have. So for instance, they'll be able to see premium uh, video tutorials and video courses. They'll be able to access the premium code examples. That kind of thing. So there, there is a sort of a, a business model behind all of this that I, I would like to tease out in the next, in the next, um, in the next quarter. But I was reading through, as you do, I was reading through Hacker News, um, earlier on today and I discovered, <laughs> I discovered a post by someone who was talking about REPL. So REPL.it is, um, <coughs> Is a way that you can you can write code in a in a REPL in a on the web on their website, uh, and you can share that code around. And there are different sort of services and tiers and and a, a subscription plan, I suppose. I guess you can call it. Um, and they've had a lot of backing recently, uh, a lot of funding recently, which is all good to them. But this this uh, this poster mentioned that um, they they subscribed, they, they paid for an account and they couldn't discover a way to cancel their account. 
which is a bit weird. Um, so essentially they paid for this account, but they, they ended up having to email customer services to get their account um, removed, terminated. Now I haven't dug much into this at all. So I don't know whether this is, this is true or, you know, the ins and outs of this. I just, I read the post and I just thought this is very weird. You know, why would someone have a website where uh, they have this subscription set of, um, uh, set of tiers or, you know, a way of purchasing um, access to a, a, a service and not provide a way of removing that access. So it got me thinking about how to code well and the future of how to code well, where I want to push it, push it and the repercussions of bad decision-making. So what I would like to do is, is probably when I come up to building these things, I wouldn't mind doing a couple of podcasts where I'm just talking through the user journeys and seeing if there is any kind of holes that the audience can pull out and find. Because obviously this, this thing where REPL can't, isn't, it didn't allow people to, uh, to cancel their subscriptions. That's a massive issue. And that has a, a reputational issue too. Now, I don't know the ins and outs, like I said, of the issue. They did say, apparently they said, uh, that, um, uh, they, they put out that, like this statement, customer, uh, well, customer support mentioned that, um, they, uh, they were, wor- they were working on subscription cancellations. So it was a feature that wasn't actually in production, but they were working on it. So whether that means that they knew about it and they were working on it, I don't know, but why would you release a piece of kit that you can't remove? It's baffling. Um, they also said that, um, they recently upgraded their Stripe library, um, and their, their version, and they uh, missed a part of the code which relied on old behavior, which is fair because that does happen, especially when you're working on legacy vintage code. Um, if you go and update something to a newer version and your old code relied on an older version, then I can, um, I can see where this slip up happens. This, you know, it happens all the time. Um, but because there is this sensitive part of, you know, account and billing, it's, um, you would think that there was some QA. They, you would think that there was some user journeys that were defined that said, or acceptance tests that that tested this this user flow, this important user flow. And it also shows that um, there was more emphasis on gaining money than than cancelling, uh, which means that you know, which, which is what you would expect, I suppose. But um, yeah, it, it was just an interesting article I read or this post this this person mentioned on Hacker News. And it just got me thinking about the future of How to Code Well, uh, because I don't want How to Code Well to be one of these uh, case studies, of course. So I think, yeah, I think what I'm going to do is before each one of these big feature uh, builds, I'm going to do a sort of an episode like this and just list out the user journeys. And if there's any holes, then hopefully... Um, they'll get, uh, they'll get, they'll get, um, picked out. But, um, yeah, it, that was, so that's just it. I don't want to hate on Ripple. It's a really good service. It's a really good service for sharing code and, and playing with various different things. Uh, okay. So Flutter, this is an interesting one. So Flutter 2 is recently out. Um, 
And I must admit, Flutter is one of those things that uh, has passed me by. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm just reading the comments. Um, so Flutter 2 has recently has recently uh, passed me by, I suppose. One of those technologies that I kind of just like sort of dismissed. It was kind of like, oh, so it's just a way of building an- another way of building mobile apps. Uh, so... <laughs> So that's, uh, uh, you know, what, meh, you know, how, you know, you could just throw, throw a stone and you've got another, you've, there's another one, right? So, I mean, I, I used to build mobile apps, um, using things like, um, uh, Alloy JS, Titanium, um, Accelerator. I've used PhoneGap. Um, I've used, is it Zarmin? Zymin, Exomin, or whatever it's called. Have you played with that before? Um, I've played with all sorts of various things to make a mobile app. I've made sites that look like mobile apps, but are actually um, PWAs. Uh, Yeah. And so when Flutter came out, I was, I just kind of like went there, you know, Um, and actually my career moved more towards the software um, architecture in terms of the, uh, building websites and web systems rather than um, mobile applications and or, t- or tablet applications. Um, but what I didn't realize, and this is why it's, you know, this is in hindsight after, after reading these articles on Flutter and I'm just kind of like, you know, my eyebrows started to raise. It's not just mobile applications. <laughs> no, 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 no. What I didn't realize, of course, was Flutter can do so much more. Flutter um, allow can you can create apps using Flutter. You know you can create applications in the same sense that you could create, say, an Electron app. And Electron, as we all know, is huge. I mean, if you use Visual Studio Code, that is an Electron app. Um, I believe is it Discord is an Electron app, um, and Flutter is Google's solution to Electron in that domain. So you wouldn't build a mobile app in Electron, but you would build a mobile app in Flutter. And you would also build a uh, a, a web app in Flutter. And the thing is, the this is where it gets a bit of a gray area because we're, we're moving away from the web and into the desktop space, which is what Google has their on, in my opinion. Um, you know, I just, let's just list off some apps, some actual apps that aren't websites or mobile applications. Um, so for example, uh, Google Pay, Nest Hub, Stadia, Family Link, Google Ads, Google Shopping, Google Analytics. Uh, I suppose they are websites, but you know, they're apps. Uh, Cloud Search, Google Ad uh, Mobile, they're all built on Flutter. So Google is paying a lot of, um, investing a lot of stuff into Flutter. You know, uh, they're, they're basically, uh, what's the term? Dog fooding their own, their own stuff in Flutter. And, um, it's not just Google, uh, can, uh, I can't never say this. Can, I, can, I, <laughs> the people behind Ubuntu, um, can, Canalonical, Canalonical, I think that's the name. I can't say it very well. Canalonical, they are building the Ubuntu uh, installer in Flutter. 
So you can install an operating system using the same software that you could write a mobile app with. What? <laughs> so that's absolutely bonkers. And in my opinion, um, this is because of, of um, well, they've got their, their, they've got their sights set on things like uh, the desktop space, as I mentioned. So things like Electron. Now, let's all put our tin hats on. Electron is made by GitHub. GitHub is, has been acquired by Microsoft. So you've got these two big companies now. You've got Google, you've got Microsoft, and they're all producing um, tools to build desktop applications. That's going to be a very interesting, inter- it's an interesting time ahead, I think. I think we won't see the ins and outs of this for years to come, probably three, four years. Uh, but I do wonder which one is going to be on top. Now, for for anyone new to Flutter, uh, or anyone new to this industry, Flutter, I think, would be a quite an attractive um, tool to learn. Flutter, Stroke Dart, obviously. Um, yeah. So, I think, though, for myself, um, <laughs> that train has already has already passed the station. Um, so, I mean, I'm 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 suited for uh, backend development at the moment. <laughs> I'm not very, I'm not concerned about, um, I'm happy. Basically what I'm trying to say is I'm, I'm happy to, to stand on the sidelines and watch where this goes and see which one wins the desktop race. Cause essentially that is where it's going to go. Um, it's not who wins the mobile application development space. In my opinion, it'll be who wins the desktop environment. That is the real winner. Um, and, uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see where, um, GitHub takes Electron, I think, uh, because of this, I'm sure there'll be, we'll see different sort of, um, uh, I sp- yeah, different things from different companies doing different things better, you know? Um, so I'm interested, I'm interested. Uh, Flutter does seem to be like, if I was learning to code now, I would probably be very, very tempted to, to play with Flutter. There are, however, some downsides to Flutter. Uh, for instance, Flutter is very opinionated. You know, uh, if you want to build a, a, an app in, um, if you want to build a HTML app, then use Electron because, you know, it's, you're just building HTML that can converts into a desktop app. But if you want to build something in Flutter, then there are certain things that you need to adhere to. Um, the Google way of doing things, for example, material design, which I don't think I, well, I can't stand material UI to be fair. Um, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of material UI. And for that reason, um, I would probably look for other alternatives. And for that reason, I'll probably find that Flutter is quite sort of, um, it's very opinionated. It's, it's very difficult to do other things outside of Flutter. In my opinion, I must say I've never used Flutter, but just reading the documentation, it's like, you do it like this, you do it like that. Whereas with, um, with say Electron, it's a little bit more open. Um, but then, hey, it's using it's using HTML and CSS, right? So you know you can do whatever you want with it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm not. I don't want to get into um, you know 
Pete hates Flutter, that kind of thing. Because I, I, I must say, I don't really have a horse in this race. I've never used Flutter. I've used Electron before and I, I really did like it. Um, but I've never used Flutter or Dart. Uh, but I am very interested to see where this, where this, uh, race for the desktop environment will take us. And it will, t- it will drag the web with it, I feel. Um, especially when you've got things like, uh, Ubuntu being installed using Flutter. That would, that, you know, that just opens up so many different possibilities. Anyway, so there's that one. The next one I wanted to talk about was, um, Deno. And again, and this is something that I probably can't pronounce very well. D- is it Deno? 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 I don't know. The alternative to, um, <coughs> to the, it's another JavaScript package manager. Uh, 1.8 was recently released and this has some really interesting, um, really interesting features. One of which is GPU support. So I have a suspicion that they're trying to target Python developers to use, um, Deno. And, uh, <laughs> this is because of the GPU stuff. This is because of the intensity of the, um, the data scientists, or the machine learning developers, you know, the, the people who require a lot of, a lot of, uh, resources. And, um, when you've got a, an alternative, um, to, as a JavaScript package manager that can have support for GPU, that is really, really awesome. And of course, it's not just a package manager. Of course, it's more than that. But, um, the release, uh, also saw import maps as well. Um, as stable following the environment, um, that sorry, following their enablement in Google's just released Chrome 89. Again, we're talking about Google here. So you can see, you can see how these, uh, these cogs are turning between the companies, right? Um, so the link between, uh, Deno and Chrome is that they both use the V8 JavaScript engine. Um, import maps allow simplified code for importing JavaScript modules. Uh, other new features include support for downloading modules from servers that require authentication, um, stabilization of permission APIs for security web pages and improved instrumentation, uh, sorry, in, yeah, instrumentation support, uh, for analyzing performance. So this is, this is actually quite a, a huge, a huge change. And the thing is this, uh, this tool hasn't been around for a while to be fair in the, in the grand scheme of things. So it'll be interesting. Whoops. It'll be interesting to see where this, this goes in the future. I'm just going to bring up the article that I was reading earlier. Um, because this is, this is actually quite a, a recent, a recent thing. Oh, bear with me a minute. I am running on the, <laughs> on the wrong tab, but yes, it's, um, GPU support. We're talking about hardware stuff in web development, which brings me to the next topic that I wouldn't, wouldn't mind talking about. And that is RAM. Um, I'm still, I'm still in this world of wondering whether or not to go Linux rather than Mac. Um, (coughs) Web developers on Macs, uh, on Apple Macs, they are in a, a really weird position at the moment because um, the, the there is this M1 chip 
And this M1 chip flies, 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 flies. It's brilliant. Super fast, super quick. However, you can't purchase a laptop, an Apple laptop, a MacBook Pro or a, or a MacBook Air um, with M1 that has greater than 16 gigabytes of RAM, which kind of puts us in a bit of a predicament. If you want to have more than 16 gigabytes of RAM, you need to get an older version of the MacBook Pro, and uh, then you can go up to 32 or 64. You can't have the M1 chip. Now, I'm not 100% sure um, whether it's something to do with the support that that chipset has for the RAM that you can give it, or whether it's just a clever marketing uh, tactic from Apple to... Um, reduce the um, reduce the 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 allowed amount for their for the purchasable at, um, Macs, so they can still sell the older MacBook Pros for us developers who need all the RAM. So the only alternative, of course, for me, if I wanted to go for thirty-two gigs, would be Linux. Um, so I don't know whether this I don't know whether anybody's plotted any kind of trend after M1 was launched for people who needed 32 gigs to go to Linux instead of waiting around. We also have to wait, of course, for Docker and other things to be uh, fully supported by M1, which currently isn't at the moment. So it's not like I can just go out and buy an M1. I, I need Docker. <laughs> um, so I don't really know at the moment where, where I, where, what to do. I don't really know what to do because I am... I am maxing out 16 gigabytes of RAM on a daily basis. I give about between 10 and 12 gigabytes of RAM for Docker alone. Um, and I give uh, Docker as well about, I think it's uh, two or four cores. It depends on what I'm doing. I've got lots of cores in this, uh, in this MacBook Pro. Um, but that doesn't leave a lot for the operating system. And when I'm doing some really intense, intense operations, um, say, for example, recently I've been doing a lot of work with Elasticsearch. So Elasticsearch is a bit of a resource hog, as everybody knows. And um, uh, when I throw scripts at it, it, it starts to slow down. The, the, the whole laptop just turns into a, just turns into a heater and um, you can hear the fans going on, which is something that the M1s don't have, right? They don't have fans, which is nice. Uh, it w would be nice not to hear the, the, the laptop, um, in pain. <laughs> so yeah, no, I don't know really what I, I, I should do. I'm at the, I'm at the, uh, the tipping point. I think if I was to do anything more strenuous, like for example, I can't run uh, a testing suite at the same time as I'm, I'm importing documents into Elasticsearch. That just, that I just can't do that. Or I can't run other Docker containers that do, um, temporary, temporary, um, actions, um, routines, uh, whilst I'm doing, doing the ES stuff and I'm doing some interesting indexing and, um, you know, searching and all that jazz. And, and, and so I, I'm kind of stuck. I, I'm, I'm up to the bottleneck, I suppose. Um, that's what I'm trying to say. And there's been a couple of times where I've had to do things and leave it running overnight, which I don't really like doing, to be fair. Um, not on a laptop anyway. Uh, and the thing is, it needs to be a laptop. <laughs> it can't be a desktop. Um, because uh, one day we will get out of COVID and one day I'll need to take it with me. So, um, <laughs> 
So yes, I know I could get, I know I could get a super iMac, um, and, and, uh, you know, put that, you know, upgrade that to the hills. But, um, yeah, so it's an interesting one. I wonder, I, I do wonder whether, um, whether Apple has done this because it knows that developers, uh, need developers who do really intensive stuff need to have more than 16 gigs of RAM. And so they've, they've cut this off or whether it is simply just a hardware, uh, issue that you cannot run more than 16 gigs on an M1. I don't know. Maybe I have to wait until the M1X comes out, but I definitely need more than 32 gigs of RAM, which brings me back to this whole GPU thing. Um, <coughs> so, um, this is, uh, this is this, uh, the, the Denu, I can't, I'm not sure if I'm spelling this right. Denu 1.8. Um, again, I've, I've let this pass me by. Um, I know other developers who have, um, who have used this, um, but, um, not, not I. So here we go. I've got the article up, uh, <laughs> finally. So the Deno project was, um, has released version 1.8 and it excludes, sorry, excludes, <laughs> it includes an experimental support for web GPU API enabling out of the box GPU accelerated machine learning. Okay. Um, so it's, uh, it's co-founded by obviously node, um, by the creators of node. Right. Um, and it was, it, I think, I think they've done this because they want to entice the Python developers in because of the GPU support, uh, which is a really good move to be fair. Um, so for things like, uh, machine learning, um, sort of deep fakes, that kind of thing, uh, or something that really takes a lot of intense stuff, data science, uh, statistic crunching, data modeling, those kind of things. This would be really a tr- an attractive, an attractive, um, tool, I think for people to use. Um, I don't really know too much about web GPU to be fair. Um, it's, it is a API apparently for GPU programming. That makes sense. Um, it's not a W3C standard though. Um, which I don't know. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of this, but I do hope it becomes one soon. Um, because that will allow others to take advantage of it. Um, and, uh, it's, so it's not a, it's not a W3C standard, but it does have support from people like Google, Mozilla and Apple. Um, and it's in the development Chromium, um, Firefox and Safari. Uh, the integration of web GPU API into Deno has, uh, been no small task and required 15.5 thousand lines of code. Wow. According to, uh, the post as well as guidance from the web GPU team. I mean, I didn't even know that team existed, but <laughs> fair enough. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, it has full support for international components for Unicode ICU, which is a, uh, which is apparently the second most requested feature on the Deno, uh, repository. Uh, Deno promises to match browser AP, uh, the browser API for this important for language localization. Uh, the release also saw import maps, as I mentioned, 
uh, marked as stable in the Google Chrome's uh, 89 release. Uh, yeah. So, and then of course, as I mentioned, that you can include uh, modules from servers that require authentication, stabilization of permission APIs for security web pages. A lot has gone involved in this in this release. Yeah, it's um. And I mentioned it was a package manager. It's it's a replacement for um, that was silly of me. Yeah, no, it's not. It's it's a little bit more than just that. <coughs> yeah. So Deno is one of these things that um, has passed me by. It's a bit like TypeScript. It's a bit like um, uh, Flutter, as I mentioned before. These technologies, they're kind of like I'm kind of reading about them after they've after they've. Um, you know, um, once they've got really big, <laughs> uh, same with rust as well. I, I did play with rust a bit, but then I got sort of lost and it wasn't really, I discovered that it wasn't anything that I actually needed to do to make money. So, um, PHP was back. I fell back into the PHP train, uh, which was perfectly fine and acceptable to me. But the thing is, I, I guess my sort of my barometer of whether or not this is, a good thing to learn would be to have a look at the job boards and see if there are any, if there are a trend in things like Flutter or uh, Deno or, um, uh, well, as we as we know, TypeScript is getting more and more popular, you know, every day. So, you know, that would be a good thing to learn from a from the point of view of getting a job. Um, but in terms of just learning to code, I think Flutter would be a nice thing to play with. It's when I read these things and I think about things in hindsight, I always think, you know, what would I do if I was to start again? I think I would always boil it back down to HTML, CSS, and JavaScript as a, as kind of the first, first sort of set of programming uh, areas to learn, especially for web development. But the things like at the point of, of moving to a different framework, I think Flutter would be quite an interesting, uh, an interesting thing to jump on board. Um, Deno has progressed considerably since the, uh, the release of version one, but that was way back. Well, say way back. That was only in May, 2020. So that was about a year ago ish, just under a year. Um, then the project has, um, it's, it's, it's grown and grown and grown. Um, it's, I mean, I know that these, these aren't figures that you should really sort of justify and put any weight on, but for instance, there's 73,000 stars apparently on, on GitHub and 170,000 watches, whatever that means in terms of the popularity of the, of the, of the thing. Obviously there's, there's lots of people who are interested in it. Um, but, um, yeah, another interesting another interesting thing to watch. Um, what, will I ever use it? I don't know. Who knows? It depends if a client a client requires it. This is something I didn't realize. It uses Rust, huh? Um, and exclusive use of the ECMAScript modules as opposed to the CommonJS modules, still widely used in Node. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder if Node will come back with any kind of, um, not a response. It's not like a to and fro like that, but I just wonder if, if they'll have any kind of, they'll change their roadmap, which kind of lines up a little bit more with this. The same with Electron. I wonder if the Electron roadmap will change to align a little bit more with, uh, say, 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 um, 
say Flutter. That'll be quite an interesting. It's quite an interesting space at the moment. Um, and the the really interesting thing about this is my day to day. I get paid to build web applications, web systems. And what we've been talking about today has mostly centered around things for building um, really data heavy analytical systems, such as your GPU required data science, machine learning stuff, as well as operating system installers using technology that you can use to write mobile applications. (laughs) So not strictly web stuff in that sense, but using the technologies uh, that uh, that you can certainly use f- for that. So uh, lots of interesting overlap going on uh, with this. But uh, yeah, I just thought I would bring these back up. By the way, I'm reading from the register. I'll leave these links in the show notes as well if someone wants to have a look at, at where the things I've found. Um, it's been, uh, it's yeah, it's interesting. Maybe I'll be doing a little bit more of this um, kind of, I guess, I don't want to say news thing. <laughs> Just sort of talking about things that um, I'm interested in. Yeah. Hello, Wawa. Thank you for joining. Uh, Is there a chance for working with you or in your company? (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Well, um, there, well, obviously there is um, in terms of client work, uh, definitely. Um, But um, it'll be, yeah, let me know what your in your, your thoughts are and put them in discord. So if you join, um, discord, uh, how to code well.net forward slash discord. Um, but, um, at the moment I must say I'm pretty much at capacity in terms of work. Um, and you know, the how to code well stuff. So I can't, I can't really do anything else <laughs> because the how to code well.net website is, has taken up, um, all of, well, most of my evening hours as well as, uh, the weekends, uh, excuse me. Gosh, but I do hope everybody's uh, doing well here. Um, Bryce is saying, interesting that nowadays uh, I trust Microsoft way more than I do Google. Never thought that would happen. I know, right? Yeah, I know. And this whole sort of, I uh, this whole thing going on with Apple and uh, Facebook at the moment with privacy, that's going to change the web, I think, in ways that we can't yet understand or imagine um and uh, it'll be interesting to see where that goes but there's a lot of things going on with big companies that have a lot of influence on the web and it'll just it'll just be interesting how they mold the web for their needs and we need to adhere to that i mean one thing that um all it will always stick out to me is that I spent a lot, many, many years learning ActionScript for Flash and building all sorts of Flash-based applications. And yes, I admit Flash was not the best thing in the world. It was only because I was taught Flash when I was at uh, university. And I came out of university looking for Flash-based roles. And then you know, I mean, I, 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 I ended up becoming a web developer, so it wasn't really doing a lot of flash work, right? Hardly any at all, to be fair. Um, and flash just kind of like dithered in the wayside. 
But then, so then uh, Apple came along and just basically killed it. And you could quite easily, quite rightly argue that that was the right thing to do. But it just shows how much influence these companies have on the web. So, but the, but that's that's something that I will always fall back on that experience. So I spent a long time learning um, uh, ActionScript, which is the the programming language for Flash. Um, how to manipulate like Flash? Uh, oh gosh, Flash movies um, in uh, using using code ActionScript. It was basically like JavaScript, to be fair, um, at that time. And uh, yeah, anyway, so so I learned. I spent a long time learning something that I don't use now. Meaning that I whatever I'm using now or whatever I'm reading about now, um, in many years to come. I will probably be doing something completely different. Uh, so it's kind of one of these things where you don't put all your eggs in one basket. You can't, and you don't, and you take things with a pinch of salt. You know, a lot of a lot of new developers, unfortunately, they get this blindsided by so many new tools out there. They get overwhelmed by all the new things, and as soon as you know someone with influence says you should learn X over Y you know, that decision has already been made. Um, and, and a lot of times, unfortunately, not a lot of thought goes into the longevity of these things. <coughs> and the longevity of these things isn't a long time, isn't a long time. So I would, I'm, I'm cautiously, I'm, yeah, I'm cautiously interested um, in, in playing with Flutter, at, you know, at least, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't commit to being a complete Flutter developer, um, because you know I don't want to spend all of my energy, because essentially that's what you're giving up energy, energy and time on something that potentially will not be the thing that is as good as it was in a few years' time. Um, or maybe some company has decided to just turn it off. <laughs> so yeah, not that I think that will happen with Flutter, of course, but we are talking about Google here who has a reputation for just letting products die. <laughs> um, but it, it makes me wonder whether how much of their decision-making is based on the fact that other big companies such as Microsoft who own things like GitHub and LinkedIn and other, other kind, well, they've got this social network LinkedIn for, you know, where a lot of developers use it. They have the, the Git repository being GitHub um, and they have, and that has Electron, right? So they've got a lot of weight. Plus they have, um, they've got, the ability to to have the um, the subshell for Linux and Windows, so and you know they do and for their for their uh, for their dues they do a lot of good stuff for open source, but they're still a huge company with uh, their own agenda, and likewise Google is their own company with their agenda, and when they clash, when they're doing the same kind of thing but a, just a different flavor of it. It gets very interesting to see where they pull and push and tug the web to suit their needs for their products rather than the product of the other companies. 
And again, that's me putting my tin hat on here, but um, it's just a, it's just an interesting it's just a, an interesting sort of set of it's just an interesting thought experiment, I suppose, as to where this might go in the future. Um, are we all are we going to be destined to look at Google based application launches <laughs> running in Flutter, or are we going to be more open? on uh with with other things i don't know who knows who knows who knows i'm turning into a google hater now aren't i anyway that's me done i hope everybody's um having a great evening thank you ever so much for watching i do promise that i will be putting these out <coughs> on the podcast i do promise the podcast i will update the podcast um this weekend i know it's been a long time but i do promise that i'll do that uh on uh on Saturday, hopefully Saturday, if not Sunday, but I'll let everybody know on Twitter. If you haven't done so already, please do follow me at uh, How to Co Well on Twitter. Obviously, if you are around on Twitch uh, on uh, Sunday, please do join as well. And before I go, I really should mention uh, our new code challenges, um, the, our new challenge for this month. So. At the end of March, March the 28th, I'm going to be reviewing the code challenges. And this challenge is all about PHP OOP, so object oriented programming in PHP. It is a series or a set of 10 uh, questions, kind of like pub, pub quiz questions, I suppose, with about OOP. And these questions are sort of like interview style questions. So do check out um, codechallenges.howtocowell.net. I'll put a link in the show notes after this as well. And um, if you want to join, you don't have to do all the 10 questions. You can do as whatever questions you fancy. Um, and you create your GitHub repository that uh, has holds your answers. And then you send a link to our Code Challenges channel on Discord. Um, and I will review it live on Twitch on the 28th of March. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's happening. <laughs> that's happening. There's 10 questions there about PHP OOP. So thank you ever so much for watching. We have spoken about Flutter, Deno. Uh, I've mentioned how to cope well. Uh, we spoke a little bit about REPL, um, and of course, uh, how to cope well. So thank you ever so much for watching. Happy coding, everyone. I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye-bye.